Welcome to No Hope, the podcast. Burning bridges and the Disney Renaissance. Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in. And we're we're back. Wherever you are, probably huddled in your bathroom, crying like Glenn Close in the Big Easy <laughs> at this point. Or like... Um, silkwood shower type situation silkwood shower is also a very good reference um God, a that lot was a good movie a lot has changed in the like couple months since we recorded those first episodes yeah you probably know this but we recorded those episodes back in december so yeah life is a little different now so if you thought we were just really good at tuning out the outside world when you listen to the first two episodes that we're not that, that, that wasn't the case we're not that good <laughs> but we are Tim Allmiller and Scott Schneider, and we are No No Hope, Hope Productions. Uh, we are also two gay, middle-aged, white cis men who live in New York and write musicals. Like one of how many do you think? How many do you think there are? <laughs> I mean, hundreds <laughs> easily, I, certainly, right? I <laughs> Based mean, on our hundreds. experience, like, yeah. I would it's nothing if not homogenous. <laughs> um, and we write musicals that you don't know and probably never will. But we're yeah, going to keep writing them. We're 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 on the fringe of a fringe, <laughs> yeah, genre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. if you've had the pleasure of seeing one of our productions or cabarets, we thank you because we just we're just going to keep on doing it you know we yeah, have no I mean, commercial success and we're you, not going to pretend to be people that we're not but we are active writers and begrudgingly producers of our work and we've been doing it for 16 years and we're going to keep on doing it whether you like it or not um that is not to say that we don't recognize the crazy hard work it takes to make theater to write musicals and we would never fault anyone for their, for their effort but we do have a lot of opinions and we're not going to shy away from saying what we think because we never have. And that has gotten us to where we are today, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, right burning, here. Burning bridges, you. burning bridges one at a time, one systematically one, one at a time. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, there's a lot of shit out there. There's a lot of shit that gets put on stage mm -hmm. and, um, it, it's it, it's it's weird it's it's weird to me because i remember like one of my great teachers saying like if you're a great writer like you'll always rise to the top which i just don't think that that's necessarily true that's not that's saying total bullshit it's a little bullshit you know uh, there's a there's a lot of things that that get put on stage that are shit but anyway we are here to talk about Do you musicals talk about we love yeah and then the shit and the musicals we hate and or we kind of made the distinction last time uh that are perhaps overrated is another way of putting it um so before we get started uh we are we are experiencing our first new format which is we're each going to talk about only one musical per episode one of us is going to do a love one of us is going to do a hate um Originally, we thought we were going to each talk about one of each, and, and we realized that that was just way too long. So we will not make you suffer through that. But before we get started, I want to do a little section called Circle Back. Oh. Do we have what anything do you to circle back on? Do I? I have a few things. Um, I have a few things. 
Do you have oh, anything? Oh man, yeah. You told me yesterday I should think about that, and I and I kind of did, but like I, I'm not sure that I do. I mean, if I hadn't forced the lovely and brilliant producer of ours, Michael Fell, to edit out the mistake I made in the Sweeney Todd conversation, where uh, then that would we be were a circle back. That would be a circle back. We were talking about. Um, uh, see, and now I'm blanking on the actor's name. You're one of your many crushes. Uh, Matt Doyle. One re- my, yes, Matthew Doyle. And I had said he'd play the character of Toby, which is so wrong. Anthony, the first time I heard it back, I was like, what What demon possessed my body that made me say that? Um, and I was like, well, I could just leave it in. But then, you know, I feel like I'm supposed to be the one of the Who two knows of us things. that knows things. Yeah. And you're just yeah. like, I don't like musicals, even though I write them. So, you know, I, I, yeah, this is me confessing. This is me confessing that I made okay. a mistake. Okay. Okay. Well, that's, that's good. My I mean, primary, you know. my primary circle back. And just generally, you're still wrong on Sweeney Todd. That's it. Oh, I mean, obviously, if you can't <laughs> even remember the character's name, then I'm certainly not wrong. Um, listen, I have a couple. I have, um, I read Ragtime. Yes. <laughs> since I had so much time. That's not going to happen, you know, like every time we record because this time it was four months in between. Um, I read Ragtime. Uh, wow. It was, I don't know exactly what I expected it to be, but it was definitely, like you said, sweeping and massive and American and r- racial and complicated and it was it was um it was quite a read it's it's amazing to me that they made a musical out of that book and i'm i'm actually like again really bummed that i didn't get to see it um i also listened to some of the original broadway cast recording and Marin Maisie, um oh she was amazing and definitely the 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 finale wheels of a dream the the you know the end of the of the show there's no question i would definitely have been weeping if oh. i saw that in, yeah you would have been weeping okay. in, i'm in, confident you in the real weeping. world um so that's my that's my ragtime circle back. I really want to read Wicked. I've thought about reading it before, but like you made me realize um that I should I should read it. So I think you have it, right? I want to borrow it. Um I'm sure. I think I had originally borrowed it from my partner Chris Catino, who but we we literally never get rid of books even though we should. We have like four yeah. bookshelves, so I'm sure it's lurking. I feel somewhere. like I've seen it. I feel like I've mm-hmm. seen it, so I want to borrow that. And then finally, um Hedvig, The Origin of Love is based on a story from Plato's Symposium. So I oh, right. did I think know you that. said I just uh, it was remember. like it was quote like Greek or something. Greek or something. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So um that's that those are my those are my three things. Uh, I have one other question before we get started, which I wanted to ask you, what was the, because we talked about first musicals we saw, and I think you said Sound of Music, and I was just sort of guessing Wizard of Oz, but what was the first live musical oh, wow. you saw that you can remember? It was a lot later than you would have thought, um, and I'm almost positive that it was Phantom of the Opera. Where? Like, like a nearly touring? positive. Oh yeah, to touring, touring production. But like, did you have those shows that came to like your high school or your grade school, like cheesy, you know, Cinderella adaptations or uh, something like not that? Really. Not Cause really. I, I mean, remember it was like regional theater, but like, I'm talking like legit, you know, national touring of a, of a Broadway show musical. 
Well, you also lived in Indianapolis, so that's a bit different. Yeah. Like I lived in the middle of, you know, fucking nowhere. I lived like right. in the middle of pastures and fields, basically. Yeah, we had like Clues Hall, which is this enormous, like massive hall, as it is often the case with like, you know, uh, sort of mid-sized cities in the heartland. Um, they just have like these huge cavernous halls that are like significantly bigger than broadway theaters um yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah where yeah. you're like oh i'm like 17 football fields from seeing anything like when, when i moved to new york i was like oh in the balcony you can like actually still kind of see the actors you can experience the show <laughs> yeah um okay okay interesting Phantom. yeah i'm like not edit i'm not saying anything about phantom because i reserve the right to i mean for all you I, know we may be talking about it today absolutely but I'm going to start and, and okay. because Do you want to start with love or hate. Well, I don't know. And I'm prepared for both. So okay. why don't we just, since we're, since we're just kicking off this new format, why don't we just do a coin toss Ooh, to decide? Okay. I think I um, have one. Yes. Okay. Um, okay. Like so which heads is love. Heads is love and tails is hate. Okay. Okay. It's heads. Heads. Oh, that's good. So this, I knew this was originally adapted from a film, but I, I, so then I started thinking about like the practice of adapting because it was a non-musical film, right? So I thought I started thinking about the, the practice of adapting non-musical films to stage musicals um, as something, you know, obviously it's fairly recently. It's happened a lot with Kinky Boots, with Waitress. Those were the first two that kind of popped into mind. Um, but when I started, re oh, and then I, uh, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. And then I started researching this musical that I love. I was reminded quickly that it's, it actually isn't anything new. And I, I did a little bit of Wikipedia research on this. Carrie, the musical came a few years after this musical that I'm getting ready to talk about oh, a couple of years. Were, no, no. You were talking about <laughs> Carrie. I was like, what? That would be amazing. <laughs> But no, I, I was thinking like, well, this is an interesting topic it, it, because I, you know, we get, I get frustrated. Like, why aren't there any original ideas? Like when, why do, why are people stealing yeah. from films? But then I f discovered that, um, I think these were the first two, uh, the first that I could find was this, this, uh, musical Iliot Darling from 1967, which was based on a 1960 film, Never on Sunday about a self-employed free-spirited prostitute that's the wikipedia description Ooh, which i love self-employed prostitute um, and then that same <laughs> year right <laughs> the world of henry orient which was a critically acclaimed 1964 film was also adapted into a musical uh, which was not very well received Ilya darling was actually pretty successful so i think those are the first two ever film straight films or I don't know if you call them straight films non-musical films that were adapted into musicals in 1967 I'm not sure well, but okay. if anyone knows any differently please let us know you can write us at info at nohopeproductions.com um, so I actually was introduced to this through a film but it was a musical version of the stage production uh, i saw it at the southgate theater in liberal kansas with a girlfriend a girl that was a friend that is um it was 1986 and the film was a musical adaptation of a musical that was adapted from the aforementioned also 1960 film so all three of these things were made the, the original films were, were from the 60s and it featured rick moranis and ellen green and of course was <sighs> Little Shop of Horrors. Yes, this was 
We're going to agree. Just like like Sweeney Todd. It has a lot of my favorite things. Death, (laughs) murder, cannibalism of a sort, fucked up relationships, obsession, unrequited love. But it's actually really good. (laughs) Um, And I didn't see it on stage until very recently. The the recent off-Broadway production with Jonathan Groff and Tammy Blanchard in the star-crossed lover roles. I mean, it it was so satisfying to be in that like small theater totally um and and be so close to it and it felt so so intimate and small and i'm really glad i didn't see that broadway production that happened in 2003 because i felt like early 2000s yeah it's that you know that's a whole other thing that like it's it's something i hate about broadway and and musicals specifically um, is that there's just hardly a life for like smaller musicals to have like off Broadway life, you know, yeah. and and so many of them I think would be so much better if they were able to stay in a smaller venue, but that's just not the you know the world that we live in. So, alas, um, so here's my history. Little Shop, for people who don't know, I'm sure everyone knows, is a star-crossed lovers and deal with the devil story. The lovers are Seymour and Audrey, and the devil is a man-eating plant named Audrey II. It opened in 1982 off-Broadway and ran for a total of 2,209 performances. Wow. Which is a shit ton. I mean, it's it's really, really cool that that again just like it was it's so cool to think that in in 1982 an off-broadway show could run for that long and and sustain itself um it opened in 83 on the west end and i was very confused about this because ellen green apparently played audrey on the west end for a period of time but it also said that she so she must have like just stepped out of the off-broadway production for a stint I think to do West End because because I think she, yeah, she played most of the off Broadway run from everything I can kind of put together. I mean, she is Audrey. So she, she is Audrey. Yeah. Um, Oh, I have a a interesting tidbit about that. Um, (laughs) The film was made in 86 and then it was not uh, brought to Broadway until 2003. I don't really have much information about that, to be honest. I didn't who, look into it too much. Do you know? You don't know who was in it. I, I didn't I remember it happening. And like you, I'm happy that I did not see it, and I yeah. did, waited until this recent incarnation. In 2015, encores at New York City Center did a like a you know this is before they started doing fully staged productions and it was sort of like a concert presentation with Jake Gyllenhaal yeah. and Ellen Green I had in those roles. To, I had yeah. really wanted to see that. I was kind of bummed I missed that. I wish that I had yeah I wish I had tried harder because I remember um, that was kind of before I I realized that Jake Gyllenhaal could actually sing. Mm-hmm. I mean I knew that he could act, but like. When we he saw like, him in Sunday in the Park, like he, he was, was much, much better than I expected him to be in yeah. Sunday in the Park. So I, I, I feel, yeah, I feel sad that I missed that. But yeah. and then, as I just said, in 2019, it opened off Broadway and would still be running if it weren't for where we yeah. are right now. Uh, yeah. So that is a little overview history history, overview um most people the songs that you would know are of course the title track skid row which is an incredible opening like basically i mean the the title track is the opening but then this this number skid row oh and i feel like there's some like i know that it's like very motown influence but isn't there some um 
there's some song that this is also sort of inspired by or do you know what I'm talking about? Skid Row? Yeah. And downtown. That, that song Downtown? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's that's kind of my it recollection. Ex- it, something existed, like right, okay. some part of that song I think existed that they not must have like sure. I know either, but I do I love that song with all the overlapping vocals, and I feel like you and I used to watch certain scenes from uh, the film, like uh, ad nauseum. Oh, constantly, constantly. <laughs> it was like we're drinking on a Friday night. Time to put on clips from Little Shop of Horrors, <laughs> and and obviously somewhere it's Skid Row, somewhere yeah. that's green. Yeah. Um, dentist, like I like I think it's super fun, but it's not like a, a it's not one of my favorite moments of the show, to be honest. Yeah, same. Although I liked it more in the through the stage production. I mean, I don't think you're a big Christian Borle fan, but I, I like that character more in the staged version. Agreed. Agreed, 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 agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Um and then obviously suddenly Seymour, which is uh, how many how many couples waited for that song you know to to have something to sing to each other i have to How say many misfit that couples that song for reasons unknown to me is like the earworm song of my entire life like that song for some reason pops into my head like I would say on a weekly basis at like the most random time, I'll be like brushing my teeth and all of a sudden there it is again. But like somehow it doesn't annoy me. I love that song. Uh, I still, it's just I, such an earworm. I just love that song. We were in, you know, we were at that, um, that campground, uh, sawmill down in florida over mm-hmm. um, new year's and they had several karaoke nights and of course there were <laughs> at least two renditions of suddenly seymour and it it's just such a fun song to watch people sing even if they can't totally. you know like they're because you can tell <laughs> that like they're a, going through something there's like just this over the top earnestness to yes. it it's like kind of winking and- but it's like also like makes you love the characters yes uh, and and yeah. you know it's like for every misfit like that's mm-hmm. i think that's the thing about the song that especially um you know gays of course like i mean so many people obviously but like um it, it's it's just it's a, it's an amazing song um now mean green mother from outer space was written for the film only but by the original creative team um oh i want to i want to actually interrupt what i don't even remember that song <gasps> Me, this so Mean Green Mother from Outer Space was the first Oscar nominated song to contain profanity. Uh, that was one of my fun facts, but I but I decided that that was a good time to insert. I like it. that. And now I'm just a mean green mother from outer space, and I'm baby bad. I'm just a mean green mother, a real disgrace, and you got me fighting mad. I'm just a mean green mother from outer space, gonna trash your ass, gonna rock this place. I'm mean. I'm sure you're going to mention that the end, the ending is different. I am going to talk about that a little bit. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then um, I think, and I don't know if this is, I don't know if this is a known song as much as it's like one of my favorite songs, the Meek Shall Inherit. Um, 
this lyric, uh, they say the meek shall inherit. You know the book doesn't lie. It's not a question of merit. It's not demand and supply. They say the meek shall inherit. Howard Ashman was a fucking brilliant lyricist and book writer, and it was a obviously a tremendous loss, um, which is all I can really say about that. I mean, yeah. not that Alan Menken is not a f- fucking phenomenal uh, melodic writer, because he is, uh, but the marriage of the two of them and their talents was definitely like... Uh, very unique um and obvi- and obviously there would have not been the disney renaissance that there was without right. them right right was this the start of the disney renaissance did is this how they were found yeah okay. and, i mean because this was such a big hit right um, right 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 and then i guess it was little mermaid um was then little mermaid, beauty and the mermaid? beast and then aladdin Little Mermaid was before Beauty and the Beast. Oh yeah, Little Mermaid was the first one. Oh. That was the one that was like that sort of kickstarted the whole Disney Renaissance. I yeah. totally thought that um, Beauty and the Beast was first, but Beauty and the Beast was the first stage production, right? Yes, yes. Okay, uh, and you know, similarly, part of your world is like <laughs> like earworm karaoke for days because i remember arriving in new york city in like 94 for the first time and beauty and the beast was this is like obviously like Times square was very different and beauty and the beast was playing and it was right next to the gaiety theater where you would go and like (laughs) see strippers like you know that is things the perfect the perfect summary of 1994 broadway because it was like being turned into the disneyfication of uh, it was that was when i was like i this is where i belong you know and (laughs) and then of course giuliani made all of it go away but we won't get into that we're talking because we're talking about musicals musical theater so so you know i mean the the i think the reason i love this so much is because it's so smart and so simple um it's a classic deal with the devil faustian tale but in such a, a a crazy inventive inventive and and dark and clever and it's just so um I, I think that whenever you can get uh whenever you can get people to root for people who are doing terrible things i am mm. so attracted to that ability i think that's it's just brilliant and again it's like you 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 write these misfit characters you give them this incredible backstory um uh in the i I was reading in the original film um uh seymour was not actually an orphan so that was something that they that you know they changed in the uh which is brilliant because again it just makes you feel for him and so you you learn all this stuff about them you learn about their plight through skid row you you learn about their struggle and then they do these horrible things and you root for them you want them to get away with it you want them to succeed and um it was making me think about 
uh, one of the projects that we've been working on. Oh, for, I was gonna. Yeah. I don't know, like what? Tw- well, sixteen 12, years actually. Yeah, sixteen. I was gonna interject years. to say, but I figured you were gonna use the opportunity to talk I, about our musical "Teach Me to Sing." Well, uh, the, for a long time, it was just called the Mary Kay Letourneau Project because we. This is something that Scott and I bonded on or about like very early on in our relationship. And we were both obsessed with Mary Kay Letourneau. And we were both like, someone should write a musical about that. And we, God knows how many <laughs> how oh my God. Times we've tried. Poor, poor Busy Coy. Like, who well, even before endured, Busy Coy like, came on board, yeah. we, oh, yeah. like, we had been working on this shit for like <laughs> years. I mean, if you, weren't, if you weren't alive in the 90s and don't know who Mary Kay Letourneau is, she was the teacher in Seattle, right? I know, like Washington. Yep. yep. Um, who had a relationship with her oh was he like 12 he was 13 well i think they met when he was 12 but yeah (laughs) they waited the whole year (laughs) she had a family she legit had a family like uh husband multiple kids and she struck up this full-on relationship sexual relationship with her 12 then 13 year old student um and she had three children and yeah. she was the she was the daughter of a mm-hmm. Republican congressman um, in oh, Washington that, State. That whole like the sort of tell all book about her too, which is like I don't remember the name of it. That if loving be- you is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> is it really the name of it well that's the book that i read okay. I, i'm sure there's no more i'm than one sure book. we passed it off to each other yeah it was like yeah one yeah. of those just like trash reads which yeah. is like fantastic um but yeah then you know it was like it was it was like one of the really big like stories of the day i feel like it was like sort of led the way to that sort of like shock journalism sort of style but uh but yeah she went to jail for like something like seven years and they remained together well and she had when, two children yeah. while she was in jail yeah and then uh and they got out and then they got married they got married and were like ostensibly happy i guess until like the <laughs> very recently like they yeah. were together until i think two years ago they did a barbara walters follow-up yeah. special was it barbara walters or someone else I don't I can't remember. remember until um, he like, you know, I guess as an adult realized he was a victim of sexual assault. <laughs> yeah. And had and had been for, you know, Oy. decades. Oh god! Um, but Dark. we've been trying to write a musical about that. And it's really hard. It's hard yeah. to that tone is so hard. And that I mean, there is obviously like Little Shop has um, it, it goes really far. So so it, it there's a there's a. Uh, campiness and there's obviously like mm-hmm. an enormous playfulness but it also has those fucking moments like like suddenly Seymour where you I mean literally like of course you know I was like weeping I'm sure I was weeping the first time I saw it when I was like 14 with my quote-unquote girlfriend but then um I was totally weeping just now when I when uh Jonathan Groff and Tammy Blanchard were singing it it was ah it was so it's it's just brilliant it's just brilliant so you saw oh you saw jonathan groff i saw gideon click who i oh. thought was great who was he he was great you, it's funny that i didn't um i kind of i mean i know who he is but when we saw um what is this uh the big the lawyer and the civil rights to kill a mockingbird, and to kill a mockingbird thank you oh and Gideon Glick was it was that role yeah. was the main role. Dill, I think, is the character's name. But he was out that day, 
Okay. So we saw his understudy. So I don't actually think I've ever seen him huh. on stage before. I, I mean, I know who Sweet, he is. But... Uh, I think he was in Spring Awakening, like way back in the day, like the yes. first, the original production, as I recall. I think that's what I knew him. That's what I knew him from, or had seen him in. He... But... Oh my god, that's so funny that you should mention that because I read that he was in that, and he left to do something else, and Leah Michelle was like, why are you doing this? And he's like, because I have to, you know, I have to follow my heart. I can't remember yeah. what he left for. But he left the production, like, after, you know, he wasn't in it for very long. But, yes, you're, you're yeah, correct. Yeah, I mean, he I saw him because it. It was, this was such a hard ticket to get. Um, and even getting that ticket was, like, I went on a – I had to – I had to go during the week. I basically took off work for a day and went on a Wednesday matinee and still sat near the back. Um, but it was like the two weeks. It was during Jonathan Groff's run, but like he was going to be out for a couple weeks to do something. And so Gideon was stepping in. But I I had seen him and liked him. And I was like, I don't know. I think I may. I think I might honestly prefer him in that role just because he like he's got a very like nerdy. He's like skinny like has a as nerdy Seymour? look about him as Seymour yeah okay so um, it, it's anyway. interesting because you know Jonathan Groff is is actually like quite attractive yeah that's but, why I was like uh do I, but, do I need to see like hunky Jonathan Groff as Seymour but he did an incredible job of not mm. seeming quite as attractive um, <laughs> but he also just like oh my god he has such a fucking amazing voice oh yeah it oh I love just that I've seen like him like multiple pure times pure so. and it it just melted it just melted yeah. your heart I'm um, glad I'm glad we both had a good experience with our Seymours oh it was great it was so nice so here's a couple of fun things that I didn't know um I actually didn't know that the movie ended differently than the stage play but of course it does um, I love because the ending Hobbit. of the of the original because it's it, you know everyone gets eaten and it's all very bleak, yeah. which is great. But um, I did learn, which I which I didn't know, and I wondered if we had ever talked about this. Like the the musical movie, they originally um, they they filmed an ending where Audrey two grew into like a King Kong size plant and like ravaged New York City, <laughs> but apparently audiences did not like it. So of oh. course they. Changed changed it and um it ended happily with you know with uh audrey and seymour going off and i think they were i think they had children i can't remember now if I they had remember. children or if she was pregnant or but something with you know mostly because we used to watch the same five clips right, over and right. over but. but then they had the little cutaway at the end where there was like a little audrey two type bud seen in their garden and so you were like oh it's gonna something all happen again right yeah. so there was that you know that little thing but but for the most part it was a happy ending it was something that you could accept and i thought it was interesting it said that frank oz um because he was the he directed the film the musical film and he said that he felt like the reason it worked on stage is because of the curtain call because the audience got to see that the actors were really okay and in the film you didn't want those people to die so you it it, it oh. affected you differently that was huh. his like that was his explanation for like the diehards who were like really pissed off that they had changed the ending um interesting so, you know, it, it's interesting. Also, I was thinking about like social media and I was like, I wonder, like, how did people even communicate this to the studio that they were frustrated? Like these days you just get on Twitter and like you can just slam anybody and like, you know, like troll them. But you, this this must have been what? 
What do you mean? How did they I mean, express their displeasure? Like, how did, like, diehard people say, I can't believe they changed the ending? Like, how did they write letters oh. to the student? You know, like, <laughs> know, like, how did they do this back then? I mean, I was, we both I was... lived in, like, a pre-internet world. Do you think we would know the answer to that question? Yeah, We're well, I enough. don't. I mean, I don't think either of us probably ever wrote those sorts of letters. No. no you have to be a pretty passionate <laughs> fan. Do you, know, do you know that I wrote... <laughs> I have a letter published in People magazine. I, I just oh. was re- remembering this. Um, speaking of, speaking of this sort of like diehard fanness, because is it a, is it, is it to Bette Midler? No, no, that's no. It's it's because of um, they slammed Stephen King, and oh. I I was obsessed with Stephen King during high school, junior high and high school. Yeah. So I wrote a, a, a letter to to People magazine and they published it and it was like, how dare you say anything bad about Stephen King? He's the greatest storyteller the world has ever known. And um, I was very proud of that for a period of time. Wow. Uh, you were like a, a member of his like beehive or something. Is that what they're called? No, no. Oh. The, 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 the Beyonce fans. I was like the beehive. I mean, I was, if I were like wittier on the fly, I would have come up with some like Stephen King esque version of like the beehive. But yeah, uh, it would be a playoff of King, but yeah, or well, that'll have to be a circle back. We'll have to, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, Okay, a couple of the things about the film, because like I said, that was how I, I learned about it. And so I thought this was fun um, to, to a couple of other things. So Rick Moranis and original original cast member Audrey uh, Ellen Green were the, the star-crossed lovers. But then Steve Martin played the dentist. Of course, Steve Martin was yep. huge in the 80s. And there was also a wide array of other young actors in some sort of cameo type roles, including John Candy, Bill Murray who played the same role. He was the dental patient. He played the same role that Jack Nicholson played in the original 1960 film. Did you know that Jack Nicholson was in the original 1960 no, film? That is like all new information to me, including Bill Murray, because I don't remember that at all. Well, that's because <laughs> that we never be. watched that scene. Yeah, yeah. Or John and Candy, for that matter. I don't I remember, don't remember John Candy either. Hmm. Um it made me. It makes me really want to go back and watch this film. I, I do want to watch this film again. But this is the this is the last one who was awesome was awesome awesome to find out about, and that's Christopher Guest. Christopher Guest was the very first customer to come in and see Audrey too. What? Oh my yeah. god, that's amazing. Yeah, you that's know that totally you know that moment, right? Like th- that yeah. whole exchange that happens yeah. between Mushnick and I kinda, Seymour. Yeah, and I that know. Customer. I vaguely remember that now. Um, yeah. So I mean, he was like part of that circle, so that makes sense. I yeah. So um, and then okay, this is my last fascinating little film fact. Cindy Lopper was originally offered the role of Audrey, but Shut she turned it down due to her touring schedule. And then Ellen Green was asked to do it. Shut the front door. So we were. I don't know how I feel about that. I mean, I I, I know how I feel about that, which is like Ellen Green is Audrey to me. Like she's just, she just nails, she's so over the top and she just nails the tone brilliantly. And I'm so happy that it's captured on film. So yeah, but it's, it's interesting to think about Cindy Lauper. She's obviously so quirky. I could see why oh. they think that it's like a perfect, like 
you know, for that time, like popular artist, you know, to put in that would be palatable to the masses that like could could serve that role. I don't I don't know how she is as an actor, but like, would she even need to act that much? Well, that's the thing. I, I you know, it made me like I agree with you. I'm so glad that Ellen Green is captured on film. I'm so glad that that's how I met that character, but. You can't deny that Cindy Lauper would have probably fucking killed it. Oh like my her, God. just when her speaking she... voice alone yeah. is is as you say. It's just like naturally over the top. It's yeah. weird. It's like you, it, and the, even a... the, her rhythms and the way that yeah. she. It's just and, and she's and a great. She's a great singer too. She's a great singer, and like obviously people kind of like, like forget or don't know that she's actually a really good singer. Um, they just think of her as like the person that's saying girls just want to have fun, but she, yeah. she has some, like, she's got some pipes. She definitely has some pipes. Uh, I, yeah, I was, I was a Cindy, I was a Cindy Lauper, like huge Cindy Lauper fan. Um, and they're also part of her beehive. I, <laughs> it's just for everyone. It's just their beehive. <laughs> I don't know why I thought you would know what Stephen King's fan I know, club exactly. was called. Like, although, like, I was also obsessed with Stephen King in junior high, high school. I think it was kind of like mandatory. It was like a, it was like a misfit, uh, you know, gay it, midwesterner. Isn't that I don't know. There's weird? something about it that, like, like, I don't know. If you drew like a Venn diagram, I feel like somehow, like, it works. <laughs> I, I mean, part of it though was also that there was like always sex. And I always was like, uh, okay, you know, there was just like little bits of sex and you, you like, you just wanted to, you wanted to grab that wherever you could, you know, back in those days. Wow. So that is what I have to say about little shop of horrors, a okay. brilliant, brilliant musical. Um, the film version I think is also brilliant. Um, the most recent off-Broadway off production, so lovely. And I, I who knows if it's going to come back. But if it does, um, you should definitely go see it. Okay. So, Little Shop of Horrors, we both agree. Would you say that this is one of your fa- was one of your favorite musicals? Also? Oh yeah, it was. It was definitely on the list, absolutely on the list, and it doesn't surprise me that you beat me to it. <laughs> I, you know, I realized we didn't do that thing where we, uh, where we texted John and told him what we were doing, so we made sure we didn't oh, um, have repeats. Whoops! But, but I, don't I, know. Think I think at this point old... in the game, it's going to work out. So. I think it's going to work out. Yeah, we'll see. We'll, we'll see. see. But, we're yeah. about to see. So music, you want to launch into the musical that I dislike? Let's talk about the musical. Now, is that what you would say? You would say dislike more than overrated, more than, than I would say spies both or hate? Personal, it's a personal preference dislike of mine. Um, and yeah, I would say more of it's a personal preference dislike of mine. I wouldn't necessarily even say it's overrated. Yeah, so it was a little different than my feelings on Wicked, which I feel is just overrated. Okay, okay, so... All right, so the musical that I personally dislike is Annie. Annie. (laughs) Wow. I I did not, I didn't, I'm, uh, yeah, I didn't know how you would feel about that, honestly. 
It's funny because I was actually thinking about like, what is that category of things that we'll probably never talk yeah. about? And I would say that Annie probably falls into that category for me. Like I, uh, yeah, I wouldn't go see a Broadway production of Annie yeah. unless I, I can't even imagine who would have to be in it. Totally. I think that's always the interesting question. It's like, if so-and-so were in this show, would I go yeah, see it? Yeah, would you go see it? And if the answer is still no, it's like, I mean, then maybe I don't like that show. But that so, doesn't mean that I don't think that there are some fun, like, oh, yeah, totally. Moments so, and ro- so, yeah. So, yeah, the back, here's a little background on the show. If you, if you happen to have been living under a rock for the last like four decades, um, Annie is a Broadway musical. This is all per Wikipedia, of course. Uh, Broadway musical based upon the popular Harold Gray comic strip, Little Orphan Annie. Uh, with music by Charles Strauss, lyrics by Martin Charnin, I, I hope is how you say his name, and book by Thomas Meehan. The original Broadway production opened in 1977 and ran for nearly six years, setting a record for the Alvin Theater, which is now the Neil Simon Theater. Um, it spawned numerous productions in many countries, as well as national tours, and won the Tony Award for Best Musical. So another very successful commercial show that I'm that I'm talking about today. Um, my personal experience with the show, totally full disclosure. I've, I've never seen this show live on stage. Um, I would just never subject myself to such a punishment. <laughs> I don't think I, no, I haven't seen it on stage either. Yeah. I, I saw the movie. This is also part of the problem. I saw it probably much later than like most people of my generation. Like this was a very big movie i feel like yeah. it was like yeah. very oh, it was like, much like of people my age it was like people were very obsessively into it it was a I, pop culture phenomenon yeah. no that i mean yeah. that that young woman who uh, who i don't know who she is and you probably do but she was yeah she was huge like overnight she was massive yeah so um i was like i was definitely general generally aware of it because of that it was a cultural phenomenon um but I, I don't remember actually seeing the full movie beginning to finish until I was like a little older, like maybe like 12, 13 ish. Um, I remember seeing it in our, you know, suburban house basement with a friend. And at the end, my general feeling was just kind of like underwhelmed, like, oh, like, so that's it. Like, I just didn't like really understand what all the fuss was about. Um, reasons I dislike this show. Uh like oddly the music the music is like super insanely melodic and i can totally understand why it, it was so popular it's just catchy as hell songs include maybe it's the hard knock life tomorrow oh, right tomorrow um i mean hello little girls i think i'm gonna like it here nyc easy street you're never fully dressed without a smile i mean like Bam, there are tons of immensely popular and well-known songs here. And on paper, I kind of actually like some of them. But as a whole, it's just like, I feel like it's really cloying. And it and it suffers from this sameness song to song in the same way I feel like about Jerry Herman's music and scores. Like, just as a whole, it's kind of like, oh my God, I get it. Like, I get it. Like, oh, another like- Jer- Wait, Jerry Herman to- is Hello, Dolly? Yeah, Hello Dolly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cajo Fall. Anyway. And I um, just recently saw uh, Mac and Mabel at New York oh, City Center. I have actually never another, seen that. It never was, seen. But it was exactly what you're talking yeah. about. That's well, so you'll, interesting. You'll appreciate yeah. what I'm about to say. Because speaking of Christopher Guest, 
there's this quote and which I'll, I'll probably like be paraphrasing, but in, in his masterpiece mockumentary waiting for Guffman, um, it kind of sums up best how I feel about this score. Um, in Guffman, there's this like country bumpkin who's like one of the audience members at intermission for their like you know <laughs> shitty community theater production. He's like, isn't he like an accountant or something? Maybe like, he's, he's I don't remember. So but he's he's like, he's like, amazing. the songs are catchy, uh, very catchy. I can't can't get a few of them out of my head. It's it's almost to an annoying point, but uh, I think it's good when a song is catchy. <laughs> so that's it's so true that's that's like me with annie (laughs) um yeah so yeah the music is just like it's yeah it's just that drill drilling into your head sameness like just catchy 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 um so like story i guess would be the next thing that makes me pretty mad because honestly i don't even really remember all of what it's about yeah i mean kind of me too i mean the first like non-starter for me is just like all the kids like you kind of know this about me but i just generally don't like kids unless i happen to know them um I mean, I had a colleague I think once. I, we feel very similarly about that. <laughs> like, it's not if that I know I don't like kids, it's just that, yeah. like, in, like general, yes. general kids. Like, if I know kids, yeah. like, yeah. they're human beings. I like them, yeah. but like, as a whole, I had this colleague once who called them life ruiners, which I thought was hilarious, and I like, <laughs> used used that joke for years just because it was like mean. I'm sorry if you're listening to this and have chill. I mean, I hear that they they are like you know very satisfying, very satisfying and yes. fulfilling, but beautiful. They're just not creatures. my cup of tea. I mean, I just find them like loud and unpredictable and frightening and disruptive. And that's how Sookie Sue and Gosling feel. <laughs> See, they're onto something. They know. They, I mean, it yeah. literally says that in the book about Yorkies. It says they have a difficult time with children. They are not good dogs for children because they experience them exactly like you said. They're erratic. They're unpredictable. Yeah. It makes them unsettled because they're so small. I think totally. So, so the prospect of me going to a show like mostly populated by child actors is like, I'd say more of a non-starter to me than like cats. You know, people have like a visceral reaction to this stage show of like like human adults like in cat costumes like like coming into the audience and licking themselves. Like that's that's me with like child actors and Annie. Yeah, um, that's that- why I would never see a production in real life because I would just like find it so absurd no matter what happens. Yeah. Yeah, well, well, I wish I could tell you what it's like seeing it on stage, but I can't. Like the story itself um, is as cloying to me as the music. It's just like this relentlessly optimistic, ah shucks, then Annie's like, Sandy! It's just like over the top and annoying. I actually also could barely tell you what it's about. I, I, I tried to read the synopsis yesterday to prepare for this. And like, honestly, I already forget again. Like, I just couldn't <laughs> care less. <laughs> And like I'm so uninformed because I legitimately have no re- like no recollection of what happens to the other kids in the orphanage. Like I assume they get some sort of happy ending, but I do remember like when I was originally watching the movie having this feeling that it was like just kind of bullshit that Annie gets picked up by Daddy Warbucks uh, and like I just felt like everyone else basically just got the shaft. <laughs> So. It's such like it's such like an American dream parable, mm-hmm. isn't it? It's like 
if you're the right one, then you're going to be successful. It's so it's such bullshit. It's I, bullshit. Right. It is such bullshit. Bullshit. And then I was like, and I mean, it just this makes very... everybody feel good about all these yeah. orphans. Like, this fuck is... you. Also, like a very like, um, what am I going to say? This is a very like 2020, like look back at a show that was from the 1970s. But I also feel like. Like, what sort of message does this show overall to that point, like, giving little girls? Like, well, if you're sweet and cute enough, a man with a shit ton of money will scoop you up and take care of you and you'll be good for life. Like, I don't know. It just feels, like, weird. And you icky. know what would be fun is if someone did, like, a, a remount of this with, like, a Oklahoma twist and Daddy oh. Warbucks was, like, a sex trafficker. <laughs> I think that would be, like, I mean, no, they would never get permission for it. Yeah, but, like, that I would be some, like, really interesting fucked I would, up shit. I would watch the shit out of that Annie. Like, yeah. yeah. Like, similarly, I thought I disliked Oklahoma until that production. And then I was like, this yeah, is we can't talk about that. Ever. We can't talk about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally, totally, totally. Yeah, if I were to associate with anyone in the show, it's the Miss Hannigan character, who's the crooked owner of the orphanage that she's Carol Burnett, right? Yeah, so she in sings the, movie, the yeah. yeah, she sings the song Little Girls about how much she can't stand the kids and like that's the like shining spot of the show to me. Little girls, little girls everywhere I turn. I can see them. Um so the only the only positive experiences I have about this musical are are twofold. Um the first is it's a scene in John Waters' 1994 film *Serial Mom*. I don't know if you've you're familiar we watched with that. that I'm pretty sure we watched that together. Okay, that doesn't surprise positive. me because yeah. it's it's in my two top favorite John Waters films. Um, the other one being *Female Trouble* with Divine, and it's just hilarious. But anyway, did Kathleen Turner like put like raw meat on her feet or something so that her dog would lick them? Yeah, in okay. That movie? Well, I'll I'll do a little synopsis here. So okay. Kathleen Turner in *Serial Mom*. She's the title. She plays the title character. She's brilliant. She's this like aesthetically appealing, perfect looking suburban mother who just happens to be a serial killer. And it's like little things that set her off, like people wearing white shoes after Labor Day. Um, so that's sort of like the joke and why it's just like really fucking funny. So in the scene that I'm remembering, she breaks into this woman's home who's watching Annie on television. Um, and you're right. Like she's having her dog lick her toes. She says something disgusting, like lick mommy's toes, get them all wet. <laughs> so oh yes, yeah, yes. it's so disgusting. <laughs> and she's singing tomorrow, like with the, the television on, with her dog licking her toes. So so Kathleen Turner like creeps up on her. She picks up a leg of lamb from the woman's kitchen, um, and then she mercilessly mercilessly beats her to death with it while singing like it's only a day. Boom. Ah, uh, boom, way. And then she screams, rewind, because like the woman's offense was she never re rewound her VHS tapes. Oh my god. Like I have no I idea. Like I was actually thinking about this yesterday. Like I have no idea how they got the rights to that song. Like it's totally Cuz they were actually showing the movie? 
I mean, they're playing the song, right, and right, I think right. I'm pretty sure you could see the movie like on the television because it's like totally subversive the way they use it. Um, you know, it's like this basic suburban common denominator entertainment basically for the woman um i mean it's like what's more wholesome than annie right i I don't know it's i just thought that scene was so funny and it's stuck in my brain and like literally now i cannot hear tomorrow without picturing kathleen turner beating someone to death with a leg of lamb like that that's amazing that's amazing so it's amazing that i actually remember that without remembering all the specifics i remembered that yeah and it's it's also like um foreshadowing or like i wonder if what's her name mary heron i think who directed um american psycho because you know Christian Bale's character like yeah. kills people to like weird like you know he he kills someone to like Susudio I think like yes. that Phil Collins song oh my god yeah and like that was way before that so it's yeah. interesting I wonder huh. if either Brett Easton Ellis was saw John was a John Waters fan which I would I would imagine that he would be because he's also fucked up um, or yeah I mean that's just brilliant use of I love those contradictions yeah I thought it was. Very, very effective and like the perfect song for that moment. Um, so yeah, and then I had another, I have another little like positive Annie memory, which was like years later, um, during New York City Gay Pride. Um, I went to the dance on the pier. Did you, you went to that a couple times, right? I never went to the dance on the really? pier. No, huh. No, so you went for like seven oh years in a row. I went row for or this something, stretch where I went like seven years in a row. So for those of you that don't know, it's the it's the, sort of like the culmination of uh, of Gay Pride New York, um, and it. I think they've rebranded it since, but at the time it was it was a uh, it was a fundraiser, and then it was like this big sort of dance party, and they always had this variety of entertainment. Um, there'd be like sort of like frankly like B level talent. Um, a lot often a lot of it was local, but then they would have some like major pop diva that would that would uh, like end the entire reveal party. herself last yes. minute. I think I saw like Pussycat Dolls there, um, Janet Jackson, Jennifer Lopez. Um, yeah. Anyway, I don't remember who like the big star was in the particular year that I'm about to mention, but uh, we were all just like hanging out with friends, and all of a sudden the announcer is gets on the mic. It's like, and now welcome the original Annie Andrea McArdle, oh. <laughs> which and I don't. I think it was like a surprise to me. I didn't know it was happening. So Andrea McArdle is the original Annie from Broadway, not. Choose not not the movie that was Aileen Quinn, um, and I wish I could even remember what she sang. Andrea McArdle. I'm pretty sure it was like whatever generic you know gay disco song she was promoting at the time. And then of course tomorrow, um, I don't know. So she sang it, tomorrow. Yeah, I'm like 99 percent sure. Was like, it like no just like a straight on ballad, or did there was there like a dance remix I, like version? I, said, I wish or? I remember more. Oh, I God think I was just so caught up in how caught hilarious up, yes. and campy and random and fun it was. I mean, I have to say, like, I definitely enjoyed the performance more than 99 percent of the people there because it was like you know. It was a little bit of a shock to the system at that moment. It was just like people who were like, who? Like, most people had literally no concept of who she was. Right. (laughs) They had no respect. Yeah, they did not have the respect. Because that's the thing. As as we've said, you, you know, 
it's not like you dislike her. It's just that you think, oh, no. this is, you know, the music is stupid. It's, it's the whole, yeah, I just think the, the, the musical is sort of eye-rolly. Like, a little fun fact I wanted to mention on uh, on actors from the original Broadway production. This I don't know if you know. Sarah Jessica Parker was in the what? original Broadway production. She was a replacement for the title role. <gasps> I mean, I I I think that I kind of did know that somewhere in like the dark recesses. Me me too. But I seemed I don't I don't remember that she was Annie. I still feel like it's possible that that's wrong. Like that's just like wrong on Wikipedia. I do remember that she talked in the past about having been in it. But it seems. Do you think that Cynthia Nixon and Sarah Jessica Parker like knew each other when they were kids? Because you know Cynthia Nixon was uh, oh, like yeah. a daughter in the real thing that Tom Stoppard play. I think Glenn Close huh. was the was the main character, and Cynthia Nixon was like you know twelve or thirteen years old, and she was in a Broadway show. Um, and I mean, Sarah Jessica Parker that probably would have been around the same time. I need to, we need to find that out. That would I mean, be I feel like I mean a good thing about this show. I feel like it was like stomping grounds for like like new like like actors. Yeah. Um, similarly, this is a fun fact: both Molly Ringwald and Alyssa Milano were some of the other orphans in the Second National Touring Company. Wow! <laughs> like totally random. So that there's also the so movie. Interesting. The movie is the uh, uh, 1982, and it has a great cast, which makes me wish I actually liked the show more. Tim Curry was Rooster, Bernadette Peters as Lily St. Regis, Anne Ranking as Grace Farrell, um, Albert Finney as Daddy Warbucks, and the one and only Carol Burnett as Miss Hannigan. Carol Burnett as Miss Hannigan like almost made me like the movie. But, I mean, um, she was. I'm afraid I. Yeah, she was brilliant. I just just couldn't get past the source material. I think Aunt, I think they did, I should have looked this up. I think they did like a TV version and your favorite actor, I, um, Audrey McDonald played the Anne Ranking uh, role. I want to make sure that I bring up Audrey McDonald in every single one of our episodes since it's so ridiculous. And I'm, st- that I'm you just going to continue to make that exact same noise. <laughs> Because oh. I listened to that wheel. Speaking speaking of like, yeah. uh, what you would call it, the ragtime circle back. Like I also listened to the just duet um, of Wheels of a Dream with, Brian with Sucks her Mitchell. and Brian Sucks Mitchell, yeah. and I was like, I couldn't get through it. But then when I got to the finale, I was like, okay, this is a great <laughs> song, and I would weep. Oh. Anyway, like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. It's just matter of taste matter of preference matter of I guess. taste matter of taste well of taste. that is how i feel about annie which is matter of taste uh like i said i don't think it's a bad show i think it's like pretty well crafted it's just like not my cup of tea yeah and and it's like you know the other thing is you you you're thrilled that it had the success it had the same like we talked about wicked because it look at all these people's careers and all of this it, for any show to last that long and have that yeah. sort of like longevity and and employ all those people all those artists and and children i mean i'm sure those children are all like really fucked up now like i was gonna unless, say some of them unless they're famous like have a needle I, in their arms like and are in yeah unless somewhere. they're famous well, and even then, they're probably also too fucked up. But yeah, it fucked up a lot of children. But it also, you know, it helped a lot of parents through rough times. Maybe they should be like, "Where are they now?" On like former Annie's, like that would be, be a fascinating. Wait, that would that's be a like show. making me feel. Like, oh, there was a Will and Grace episode actually recently where it was basically like uh, it was basically that. <laughs> like it was basically, like, where are they now in Annie? 
Yeah, I'm like, I'm not if I'm remembering this right, but yeah, it's like it was like a bunch of former Annies got together as like adults. Uh, so I guess they were they were ahead of the curve on that one. <laughs> Are you not oh, watching the, the uh, like, no. new episodes? I never really got. I never really loved that show. I mean, I enjoyed it whenever I saw it, but I, it wasn't my yeah. It wasn't my thing. It wasn't your primary jam. No. Um, Did you see Carol Burnett? Speaking of Carol Burnett, no. this is a tiny tangent, but remember her in The Rescuers? Did you see that? Remember that no. little cartoon about the mice? I have the literally Disney no idea what that is. Are you serious? Like, I've oh never my God. heard of that in my entire you life. You need to put that on your list. The Rescuers is one of the best Disney cartoons of all time. Hmm. Amazing. I can't believe that you don't know that. Like, and Carol Burnett plays like 70s. Hmm. 70s. No 70s. idea. Okay, you need to put that on your list. Um, they did recently release the like like her original, the Carol Burnett show, I think on streaming because we watched a couple of them and she's Wait, yeah. Do you know what it's on? What uh platform? Yeah. Yeah, that may need to be a circle back. But I only have Amazon Prime and Netflix, so one of those two. Okay. I um, know I read about it too, but I but I anyway. So I do you have know. any other feelings about Annie? Um, what was your, did you see the original movie? I saw the original movie. That's how I know it. I think I also watched the, at least part of that made for TV thing. I know I tried to, and then I was like, oh yeah, I don't really care for this very much. And yeah, I then, think I you saw know, like, what's her name pieces. was in it. So I was like, Ugh. um, <laughs> I, I, um, yeah, you know, I mean, how can you not love the song tomorrow? But I think I was over it by the time I was like 14, you know? I mean, I like maybe, but nobody can sing that song. The range is so wide. I need maybe to. A couple of those. Away. I was like, nobody, like, child who actors sings that? can't sing it. What do you mean, who sings that? Who sings maybe? Annie. Oh, I don't remember that it's song. Her, I, I only her, remembered three songs that you had mentioned. It's her I Want song at the top of the show. <sighs> I don't know anything um, about that. Maybe far away. <laughs> I, see, I sure as hell can't sing it. <laughs> I feel like I read something once where that was like a very bold move for Charles Strauss to like like do this like octave wide like melody and then like having child actors try to like yeah having like how old was she like, it was she like 10 or oh something? I don't care she was under the age okay. of 18 which means I, I didn't care maybe far away Okay. Um, all right. I, I don't think I have anything else to say. I, I've okay. never seen a stage production. And like we talked about, like, yeah, it's not on it's not on, it's not on my list. All right. So I, th- I think we can be done with Annie. I'm happy to never talk about Annie again now for the rest of my life. Well, I need to watch that um, that serial mom scene so that it will give me a different head picture when that song comes on. And so that I don't just think like, yeah, 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 yeah. We're all going to die. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Fair enough. Okay. But we are all going to die. We are all going to die. I mean, um, there has never been a time that one could say that. <laughs> and be- yeah, I know. Can I, as, a, as, a, as a quick final aside, can I say that we had this like, gap of months uh, between recording the first few podca- pa- podcast episodes because we were like obsessing over what to call the podcast. And we had like lit Google Doc lists going. We were like polling friends. We thought we had another title at one point. And then we were like, 
wow, there's a pandemic. Like, has there ever been a more appropriate time to just brand this as our normal no hope? Yeah, I mean, Laura said this could be the year. She did say that. <laughs> She'll probably take it back or not want to be quoted directly, but she did say that. <laughs> we, can, we can edit it. We can edit it out if she has, if she has feelings about it. <laughs> um, okay, right, moving this on, is right? the end of this is the end. our third whole episode of no hope the podcast thank you for joining good have a have a wonderful day or morning or evening um have a or a midnight wherever whatever time you're listening to this um if you're still awake we thank you thanks for tuning in till next time there is-